My name is Onya Sanu, and I'm an editor of Hood Communist. I want to welcome you to Hood Communist Political Education. Twice a month, the editors hold discussions based on articles we publish on the blog or current events with subscribers of our Telegram channel. Because we encourage mass political education and mass organizing, we've decided to share these recorded sessions. Welcome, everybody. It's very good to see you, or rather hear you, this afternoon. We are the Hood Communist editorial team. My name is Onyesanwu. I'm a cadre with the All-African People's Revolutionary Party and the All-African Women's Revolutionary Union, which is the women's wing of the party. And I will pass it to the rest of my comrades to introduce themselves. How about you, Ajamu? Hello, greetings. Ajamu Umi here, All-African People's Revolutionary Party, Hood Communist Editor. So glad to be here with you all. Hey, y'all. It's Mac. Um, I'm a member of the Low Country Action Committee, Black Alliance for Peace, and I'm an editor at Hood Communist. Peace, Africans. This is Ricky. I am also an editor of Hood Communist. I'm a member of Black Alliance for Peace and Eugene People's Progress Party. Thanks, y'all. So we do these chats bi-weekly, every two weeks. We either talk about a current event, what's going on in the news, or we talk about an article that's been previously published on the site. So this week, we want to talk about a previously published article that was actually written by Ajamu. The article is called Why Movement Disagreements on Social Media Openly Help the Police. Um, and so I'll pass it to Ajamu to share some context about why he wrote the article. And I also just shared the link to it in the chat. Hey, yeah. So I have... Uh you know, had the opportunity to write a lot about this subject over the years, even before there was such a thing as social media, and then also, you know, studying, participating, observing uh, the results of this. So um, I wanted this particular article, wanted to write it um, to express uh, some things that I think we really seriously need to be thinking about. Number one, I think that um, people generally know in 2021 that this empire government spies on people that it deems to be a threat to its interests. I think people know that historically that's what this government has done. I don't think there's anybody disagreeing that that's happened. But I wonder if people really understand that this is still a thing. It's never stopped happening, even though you may not necessarily be aware of it. It's always happening. And I just give an example like it's in plain sight that I don't know if people really caught. But in Spike Lee's uh, movie, The Black Klansman, uh, the movie is about this cop, right, that uh, is goes undercover in the Ku Klux Klan. But the movie starts out showing that this guy was actually working undercover in our movement to spy on organizations. And what the movie shows is uh, that this guy infiltrates a speech being held by Kwame Ture in the early to mid 1970s. And at that time, Kwame Ture's organization is the same organization that myself and Onya Samu belong to, the APRP. So this guy was spying on the APRP, essentially is what it was. And so, you know, just even though 
you don't see it in day-to-day life. Like they don't, at this stage in the movement, um, we're not at the stage we were in 1969. They're not dragging, they're not killing people the same way in organizations. They're still killing people, but they're not doing it the same way they did with Fred Hampton. It's not necessarily gonna happen that same way. And also because we have social media now, that's brought in another dynamic. And I think social media is a wonderful tool to organize. We get a lot done on social media doing organizing work, but it's also pre- presented uh, several challenges in the sense that we already live in a backward society where truth and justice is totally divorced from material reality. And social media being able to hide behind a computer screen or a phone screen or whatever it is, uh, it kind of accentuates that contradiction. So now people are even less uh, accountable to being uh, honest and being straightforward with people and observing principles. So it's a lot easier now, even than it was before, for people to just wage attacks, personal attacks, organizational attacks, whatever it is, and to do that under the cover in their mind that they're you know, addressing a contradiction that needs to be addressed. But the only proper way to do that is by taking that contradiction directly to the people you're having the problem with outside of the public view and raising that with them and trying to work towards a resolution. Even if the best resolution you can work for is we just not gonna deal with each other anymore, but we aren't gonna let other forces manipulate the fact that we are not getting along by letting them know where our weaknesses are. And so that's the point that the article was designed to address is that whether we know it or not, whether we're aware of it or not, whether we believe it or not, all of those things are really irrelevant. This system works 24 seven, 365 days a year to sabotage our efforts to get free because the system understands, even if many of us don't, that the closer we get to freedom, the weaker the system gets because the system is based and maintained off of exploiting us. So since that's their, that's their situation and that's what they're doing, the more that we uh, give them to help them attack our movements, they're gonna take it and they're gonna use it and they're gonna use it in ways that we won't even fully understand until 10, 15, 20 years from now. So the point is, whatever problem we make, let's learn how to engage those contradictions with principle ideological struggle where we confront each other with the problem no passive aggressiveness, no getting on social media and attacking organizations and people and not even you know, willing to address that uh, honestly and, and forthright. So that's the purpose of the article to hopefully get us talking about the importance of that. Um, and the last thing I'll say is the reason why I think the discussion is so critical because a lot of us unwittingly participate in this. You know, what I mean by that is somebody will come to someone and say, well, you know, Jammu did this. And most of the time people don't have, they don't have the character or the courage or whatever the issue is to tell that person, well, did you talk to a Jammu about that? Some of us do. Some of us do that all the time, but most of us don't. Most of us, when people come to us like that, we're like, oh, okay. And then we don't even go to the person and tell them. We go to other people and say, you know what this person told me? This. So we're essentially doing the work of the police when we do that because it's creating distrust and division within our movements whereas what we need to do is when someone comes to that well did you talk to them i'm not talking about them if they're not here that's on principle to me 
And if we raise the bar even just that little bit, it helps us develop a culture where we respect the movement and respect our work. And it makes it much more difficult for these crooks to come in and capitalize off of our disorganization and our total naivete about the reality that we face in this society. So that's, that's in a nutshell, the reason why that article was put together. Great, thanks, Ajamu. Um, and I also want to say as a housekeeping note that we intend for these conversations to be as interactive as possible. So if you are listening and you have any thoughts on anything that's being said or a question, you can tap on your name in the list and you'll see the option to raise your hand. We'll see it and we'll open your mic up. But yeah, I um I really appreciate this article in general because it's like a hard pill to swallow at first. Because you know, when people be talking shit, you just want to say something. <laughs> I feel like we're taught not to engage conflict in like a way that's going to build we always were we're taught under capitalism and white supremacy and colonialism to engage conflict in a way that's as destructive as possible so i feel like the challenges that this piece raises are really important for our movements to grapple with because we're not going to stop getting into conflict it's just a part of the situation but one thing that i really appreciated about it adamu um that i hope you can speak to or really anyone um that has historical examples of this is just how you talked about why it's so important to not engage conflict in the way this is calling out. And you share some historical examples, like one interesting one was where you talk about Malcolm X and Elijah Muhammad and why you believe the way that Malcolm X moved there to be a mistake. So I was wondering if we could talk a little bit about that example and some other historical examples of engaging conflict in public and why it's bad. Yeah, so that that particular example, you know, I'm sure everyone knows the story, right? The, um, you know, Malcolm moved to the point where um, being in the nation of Islam was untenable for him. And he made the error of making the situation with Elijah Muhammad and the children public. And that just added fuel to the fire. And the police, uh, you know, this information is all available to us now. So if you want an example of what we're talking about, um, what the police did in their uh, tapping of all the phones and having all the conversations and, and knowing what was taking place, knowing what Malcolm was saying, who he was saying it to, knowing what Elijah was saying, who he was saying it to. They used that because they had police informants on every level in the Nation of Islam. The Nation of Islam didn't know this at the time, but they had that in place. And so they used that to steer their people to create dissent around this. And so you saw this take place where people were calling for Malcolm to be harmed and killed because he was saying these things. And now we know a lot of the people saying that were police informants. So this is, you know, just an example of what they do. And that's why it's just so important that we don't so easily get caught up in that. Um, Mac and Erica, do you have any thoughts on what's been discussed so far or any historical examples that come to mind as you no, I can't think of any like historical examples per se outside of like things that I've like not known personally, but just like observed um, through readings or or like a movie example or something like that. Because what's coming to mind is just um, I'm not thinking of any historical examples of the conflicts, but just historical examples of how people went about dealing with it. That I think that. Um, that the article that Ajamu wrote raised um, that I didn't even really consider or look to, um, like that principal struggle. And I think that just the emphasis of that, or 
is just it's really important. And I think that, you know, people say principled a lot. And maybe it's like one of those terms that is probably becoming a buzz term for many. But I think that it, it's like so important because when you look at the way that a lot of the Panthers or even when Asada Shakur talks about how she handled conflict with, within members, you see that it, it, it was still done with a, with a level of not so much respect, but a, just a, a mutual a mutual point of view, place of unity. And I think that that's what's sort of missing in a lot of the ways that we engage one another, especially online, um, because essentially, you know, you don't really know who you're engaging when you're online, you know, it could be anybody. So you can literally say anything. And I think that's where the predominant danger is that you can just say anything. There is a, there is a historical example that I'm thinking of, but I don't know the story well enough to to tell it. Um, but I, I believe it was an it was a, a tragic story about something that happened to an indigenous woman. Um, does anybody do it? Do any of y'all know what I'm talking about? does. Are you talking about anime, TikTok, Aqua? Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I, if you want, I can briefly tell you about that. I yeah. Please, that's, please. That's an outstanding example. So. Anna Mae Akwash was a organizer for the American Indian Movement. She was a Mi'kmaq woman from Nova Scotia, Canada, and she came to the U.S. to work for the American Indian Movement, her aim, and she became really a national leader. She became really the first woman national leader in AIM, and she was working on the Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota doing wonderful work, and what happened with that is um, there were you know, the, the same kind of internal conflicts that we all have. People didn't like people. People didn't get along. Somebody thought that she was with some some man that, that, that they should have been with. The same kind of, you know, stuff that we deal with every day in our lives. But the police, we think it's just nonsense. And a lot of times it is nonsense. But to the police, it's fuel. And so they use that. And so they created further antagonisms. And to the point where they developed a cadre of people who started to distrust anime. And, and then from there, they began to uh, plant the seed that she was a police informant. And so it was actually people in the American Indian Movement, members and supporters who murdered her on the Pine Ridge Reservation because they thought they were killing a police informant, but they weren't. They were killing one of their most most loyal soldiers and activists. I, I guess, yeah, I was gonna say, I guess for me that makes me kind of think of, I think one historical example, as you were saying, that was like Kwame Ture's uh, struggle with the Black Panther Party. And he got called a fed, didn't he? Yeah, <laughs> straight called a fed. Um, yeah, and I think that that, and even I guess, uh, I could say the, the East Coast, West Coast um, Black Panther Party um, struggles. If that, if, if we could even call it that, I feel like that is a really it, like it's almost an entirely separate conversation or a whole other conversation. The question of like misdragging people, meaning like accusing people of being feds without evidence, which is another extremely bad habit that's very common among the movement today, including on social media. Um, but I feel like the the historical example of the Black Panther Party and how thoroughly they were infiltrated. And that's like not something that was unique to them. It was happening to every organization at the time. And then how the, the infiltration allowed the, the actual feds, you know, to accuse people without evidence, to like create 
atmospheres of like distrust and dissension to like attack some of the most principled revolutionaries and get people to to fall in line behind it like that's what happened to Kwame that's what happened to Geronimo Gijaga so like it's just it just shows you that we think that we can just say any kind of thing because we're mad or because we're not getting along with the person or because we have strong suspicions but no evidence and we don't understand that all of these things that we're doing in plain sight of the enemy can be used against us like conflict does not automatically mean that it, the enemy can use it against us it's how we deal with it that makes us gives us a weak point or a strong point um but yeah any other thoughts on this um historical examples of the error of engaging movement disagreements in public yeah i would just want to add i you know agree with everything being said of course and i just want to add that i think it's important that we realize that this is still happening this is not something that is in the past i think people on some level yeah you know that's bad but we're not really dealing with that like that now and i think that that's a very naive perspective if people have it, because I can tell you that this government, if you study you know, the history of how they've done this type of work against us, um, any efforts we're making to expose their contradictions, they're, they're gonna be concerned about that. They always have been. I mean, they, they, had, they engaged in COINTELPRO activities against Eartha Kitt, the singer actress, just because she made some comment. So they're always concerned about anything that can discredit them because they know their whole uh, reality is based on injustice and they, and they don't want people to figure that out. So any all the good work that's happening, and there is a ton of really good work that's happening, you better believe they're paying attention to that. And you know, one good thing, I didn't like the movie Judas and the Black Messiah, I don't like any of these movies, but one good thing I thought was good in there is they did demonstrate that uh, Lakeith, the brother Lakeith um, that played William O'Neill, they did demonstrate that, um, you know, he was up on charges of stealing a car and they made a deal with him, like either go to jail for that or do this work for us and get a little money in the process. And, you know, there's a lot of us in prison and a lot of us that don't have uh, consciousness, a lot of us outside of prison that don't have consciousness, a lot of our people, period. So it's not going to take that much to get people to do that work for them. And so to, to think that that's not happening right now is to me extremely naive and dangerous. Um, and speaking of, thanks Adamu, and thanks uh, Ricky and Sally Fu for your comments. And again, um, for any anybody that's listening, if you have questions, if you wanna to contribute to the conversation, if you have strong disagreements that must be expressed, all that's fine. Just tap your name in the list. You'll see the option to raise your hand. We'll see you raise your hand and we can open your mic. Um, but speaking of how it's still happening, how um, you know the enemy is still using public conflicts against us and what that looks like, I want to like move the conversation to talking about what movement disagreements look like in the present day and how that mess is going down on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, I've seen people make entire like 90 minute YouTube videos <laughs> about conflict, um, conflict in the movement. So yeah, like uh, Ricky or Sally Fu or Jamu, what's been your experience with that in the present day? Well, yeah. Um, so I think I think we we I think Jamu said you know earlier that you know we've kind of incidentally or you know unintentionally fall into that i know my earlier days of 
Twitter, you know, when they allowed me on there, um, <laughs> is like, oh, you say something to me, I'm going to say something back, and we could just do this all day. Um, and it really was, took me, like, joining an organization to, to really realize that you can't really engage people like that because um, it's not productive. Um, but I think that that's a lot of how currently people know to engage primarily because a lot of the people who are now like radicalized were on these spaces before they were and this was always the nature of these spaces like these antagonistic um engagements so now that they're radicalized or now that they have some sort of left politic it's a little harder to break from that um so so like i can see that dynamic unfolding constantly especially what we what we deem as like uh, call outs, like how public call outs happen. And I always say that my criticism for that is that in the event that the parties who are affected have some resolution, it will never satisfy the internet. Like, um, and because I've always noticed that, because uh, you know, resolutions do happen, but someone would always be like, remember that one time? And things always come back up and come back up. And I think that that's what also makes me like wary about movement disagreements because in the event that the two like organizations do so, have some sort of resolution that doesn't take place online but they do find some resolve and they are able to move on there is always going to be that lingering yeah you remember last year or you remember that one time and so you know that it's always going to be an, uh, a reoccurring issue so that's things that i've seen constantly play out I think something that I see play out like all the time, um, and I question it just from like a a, pro, like a position of like productivity, is more often than not, I think something that we are not realistic about, but it is true for most people to a degree. Social media is not really, so, so social media is a performance to varying degrees for everyone. And so I often question when people decide to engage in like conflict or disagreement online, if there is like an, a sincere intent to resolve the problem or to transition the problem into a better place, to find a solution, or is the idea to create a spectacle, a theater. Um, and I think that something that I've been coming to the realization more and more as I've started to understand how capitalist programming works is like you hear uh, John Moo say it, you hear Onya say it all the time, but capitalism really does drive us to be anti-social people. Like that is, that is like what we are taught to believe about who we are inherently as people. And that is what we are incentivized. Like the more sort of combative and the more sort of like just generally antisocial you can be as a person, There, there is a reward system available to you for that. Like just, I talk with my little cousins about this all the time. Like, just think about the main messages that we get in music all the time. It's like, fuck that nigga. Like, I'll take your bitch. I'll, I'll fuck your man. I'll, 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 we'll spin your block. We'll rob your granny. Like, like th that is how we like talk to each other. It's like, I'm the baddest bitch. I'm that nigga. Da -da -da. So like all these things sort of like get into our brains and so on a sub very subconscious level, we operate toward each other that way. So I just can't see how resolving conflict from that basis, like from that square 
we actually move to like transform a situation. And so we are actually kind of interested, I think, in transforming situations where there is disagreement or there is conflict, we need a different basis to start on. We have to be intentional about how we open up the door to even navigate that kind of conflict. And I don't think that's what we're doing on social media. Yeah. I just wanted to give, I that's a great segue. I wanted to just give two good examples I was thinking of where people handle conflicts very well in a very principled fashion. And I guarantee you both of these situations most most people probably don't know anything about because they didn't publicize it because they shouldn't publicize it. They handled it behind closed doors in a respectful way. The first example, and these are all post social media. So these are all things that have happened in recent years since we've had social media. So the first example is there was a situation. I don't know how much people understand about, you know, gang culture here in California where I live, but there's a situation where you in the California prison system, you have the Mexican mafia or um, La Ime, as they're called, and they control much of the action from indigenous or Latino street organizations in Southern California. And those people are called Serenos or Southsiders. And so they have alliances, the Mexican mafia, with the Aryan Brotherhood in the prison system. So on the streets, a lot of these people don't get along with our people. And, you know, of course, we have our gang culture as well, just within our own African communities. So what happened, this was just five or six years ago, what happened in L.A. is there were people on freeway off ramps that were shooting at cars driving by on freeways. It, had ha it happened like 20 times where car windows were shot at, a couple of people were even hit with the, the fire and injured. And so there was a rumor that came out that said that this was... El Ime or the, the Mexican Mafia having the MS-13 gang members from El Salvador shoot at any car on the freeway that had an African in it that had a white t-shirt because that was the uniform of the Rolling 60s Crips set. And the Rolling 60s had uh, robbed uh, one of these Latino indigenous uh, organizations of some some drug shipment or some money or something. And so that was retaliation for that. And so I actually had the opportunity to participate in meetings and be aware of actions that were going on because a lot of people, when this first came out, a lot of people in the African community in Los Angeles were like, we need to get them Mexicans. And there were a number of principal people who were coming saying like, no, we need to stop, pump the brakes and analyze this and make sure we know what the hell is going on because we don't know who's facilitating this process. And so from that, from doing the research on that, we discovered that the rumor initiated out of the LA Sheriff's Department. They were the ones who put that rumor out there in an effort to turn black and brown communities against each other. These people were shooting at cars. They don't even, the cars are moving fast. They can't even see who's in the car. And there was no substantial, it had no involvement with the Mexican mafia, the MS-13s, the rolling 60s. It had nothing to do with any of those folks. But because people did the work with organizations on the ground, like that didn't grow beyond just some comments made in a meeting, you know, from people involved. It never became the full-on black and brown war that these people wanted it to become. That's the first example. The second example is the late Dr. Khalid Abdul Muhammad, who was originally in the Nation of Islam and then um, you know, helped found the new Black Panther Party and then uh, passed away from a brain aneurysm in 2001. 
And Brother Khalid, when he died, there was a rumor out here that the Nation of Islam killed him. And the effort behind that was to create some intercenine war between the New Black Panther Party and the Nation of Islam. And I know for a fact there were a number of organizations, ours included, who played a role in helping broker that peace and get people to understand that there is no evidence that that happened. There is no evidence at all. And this is what we know for sure. So let's chill out on that and keep doing the work you're doing over here, keep doing the work you're doing over there and not let these people get us into these wars where people we start killing each other and detracted from the real struggle that we said that we're committed to carrying out. And that happened. You never, there was not a single drop of blood that happened. And I can tell you that those initial discussions were heated. And it was only because of this principal work, having people talk to people, dealing with the situation, that we were able to stop that from happening. And brother Malik Zulu Shabazz, he wrote a book about Khalid Muhammad where he talks a lot about what I'm talking about right now, but it never became the type of negative violent issue that we think the people who initiated that wanted it to become simply because people decided to sit down and take control of our interactions instead of letting ourselves be manipulated by people that don't have our interests at heart. Um, Erica, did you have anything to add or anyone else? Sounds like, no, sorry, I just be calling on people because I want to know what you have to say. But I definitely agree um, with the points that have been made thus far, especially the point about how a lot of the ways that conflicts are unfolding in on social media and in public in general are not, are quite frankly, not going to end with resolution. They just never do. Um, and so I feel like when we, when, when conflict comes up, when disagreement comes up in movements, the way we deal with it has to depend on like what we want the outcome to be. Like, do we actually want to? figure out like a point, a place of unity and like move forward with people. Do we want them to like go die, which is rare. You know what I'm saying? So like, I feel like we have to like actually think strategically about how we engage with these things instead of just like reacting, which is what tends to happen. And the other thing I want to say is that there, are, there is also the, the factor of the state. Like people will make jokes about or display some level of understanding about how social media platforms are essentially tools of empire, are essentially tools of the ruling class, um, progressive movements, social justice workers, African people, colonized people are heavily policed on these platforms. We understand we're heavily surveilled on these platforms. We understand there's intense collaboration between repressive states, not just the United States, but like Israel, for example, um, and, and these platforms, they're like working together. Like I recently found out one of the founders of Instagram as a Zionist, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. That's why all the Palestinian videos were getting removed. So I feel like we understand that intellectually, but then we'll be like, I've seen people post like a public call out, they'll like tag the person's like full government name, be like, you did this, this, and this, you said this on Tuesday on a public post. And I'm just like, okay. So like yesterday you were like, Facebook is fascist. And today you're like, Facebook, I would like to share the details of my disagreement with this other person and a radical organization on this platform. Like, I don't know that people understand that we are in fact being watched, that the person you have beef with can see the public post and also the FBI, the Department of Homeland Security, the CIA, like all of the letter agencies can also see the post and that is, there's going to be consequences even if they don't hit you immediately. Like, I don't know that people understand that. And I don't think that we possibly could because otherwise we would not engage conflict in this way. Cool.
Um, so I want to keep it moving. So we talked about historical examples of public movement disagreements, you know, obviously the Black Panther Party, the Nation of Islam, basically like any radical anti-colonial organization, radical socialist organization in the 60s and 70s and 80s was infiltrated. It was very thorough on the part of the state. And so a lot of these disagreements that we find ourselves taking sides on like years later were actually manipulated, manufactured by the enemy. Um, so we talked about what movement disagreements look like in the present day and like kind of the diminishing returns of how we engage them. And so now I wanna share a little bit about the APRP, the All African People's Revolutionary Party's position on this question. Cause I think that we're a little bit unique when, when it comes to it, maybe today, maybe not so much in the past, but we are today. Um, and I also struggled with this at first. So the APRP's position is that we don't ever, ever publicly attack another organization ever like we if we have an issue with an organization which happens all the time we will go to them directly and raise it with the intent of resolving the conflict we will never publicly attack another organization or another person so that's why we do it and i say that i struggle with it because i was so i was actually recruited by a jambu i started off in black lives matter i helped start the chapter in portland oregon and i was recruited out thank goodness by Ajamu, but like before that happened, I was in both for a little while. And I, you know, the nature of Black Lives Matter was that it was all just a bunch of really young people who had been recently activated, who were just kind of learning as we went about how to do this work. And so we made a lot of mistakes and we got into a lot of conflict. There were a lot of call outs. There were a lot of Facebook fights in the comments. I remember at the height of that kind of thing, Ajamu being like, don't do it, stop. And I was like, I don't understand why you're telling me what to do. <laughs> I need to respond to this because this person is lying on me. And what I had to realize the hard way is that one, when you engage conflict in that way, it's always going to keep escalating indefinitely. That is precisely what happened. Like disagreements with people that maybe could have been squashed with a conversation or two um, because they were engaged in Facebook comments in the most acrimonious way possible, just never came to a point of resolution. Um, and also it created a situation where like news media was like watching us doing it. Uh, opposition, like far right organizers were watching us doing it and they got all the details of our disagreements and our beef and who was met not with who and why. And I just, that is how I realized that that's not the way to do it because it left us extremely exposed and it created like a conflict that could not be resolved between African people doing the same work. Um, so that's my understanding of the APIP's position. And I want to know Ajamu, Salifu, Erica, if there's anything you wanna add or like thoughts on that position. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say um, I think um, it was it was hard for me too, you know, because I there's there is one particular organization I won't name, but they uh, especially in the '80s and '90s were you know every day attacking us viciously, and uh, you know same as you on your summary, like I didn't understand, I didn't understand that, I understand why we weren't like getting back at them, and I had you know elders, a lot of who are no longer with us, who were trying to explain to me how that was not an effective route to go. Like I wanted to go to their place where they went and confront them, you know, face to face. That that to me was, yeah, that's principal struggle. Let's go down there and, and, and square up with them. And people were like, no, that's not what we need to be doing. Um, instead, just keep doing your work. And then now, you know, obviously they were correct. I mean, we've, you know, we've, we've, we've been able to uh, move far past that on any kind of credible level, but you know, it's it's a struggle to to get to the point where you can accept being attacked and and not feel like you have to respond. That that takes a lot of 
character growth to learn how to do that. Yeah, I mean, um, for me, that idea is is really challenging, and I'll for two reasons, and I'll say why both of them, um, why for both of them. I think the first one is uh, something that I hear once I learn better, but I still hear people commonly kind of reference today, like a position like that, um, in some ways tries to avoid accountability because, like, what if you can't access the person in real life, and social media is really the only way that you have? And I'm just like, okay. But if you can read or hear everything else that was just said about the nature of these platforms and what the negative, how the negative results of that outweigh the positive, and you still take that position, I think more investigation on the topic might be necessary. And then I think the other one, uh, the other reason why it is like, um, like a challenge is that because it also causes you to like step back and reevaluate what conflict actually, what conflict actually is, and like what conflicts are actually worth addressing. Because if you don't have the ability to just spaz out, or if you're, or or if you are like removing yourself from a space where you just spaz out and respond to every single thing that you see online, what that does is it makes you more, it makes you a more um. I guess thoughtful and um, direct. Like it requires you to be more thoughtful and direct in how you approach conflict, which I think is a good thing because if we understand revolution is not just a like physical event that happens all at one time when people go running out of their houses and like burning down liquor stores and stuff like that. Like revolution is literally a transformation of society and that includes ourselves. So at some point in time, we have to figure out how do we actually handle conflict? And I think a position like that does challenge us to do just that. I agree that it's really is a challenge. It's one that I struggle with often, um, you know, uh, because it's it's very new for me to hold that position. So trying to learn the best ways to hold it, especially when um, other people aren't used to that sort of position where you do not have to um, engage, like you literally don't have to engage. And I think also with, um, to Ajamo's point about, you know, avoiding it, I think what's made a, a lot easier is that block button. Um, because that way I don't, because I feel like for me, if I see it, it triggers something where I'm like, oh, you're not going to talk to me like that. <laughs> <laughs> so... So for me, it's just easier for me to just block it out. Um, that way I know for sure that I won't slip up and engage because I can say for sure nothing productive comes from that. Um, because I, I have, like Anyasamu talked about that. Like, I think that's a part of all of our past, especially if you're on these platforms for years, especially if you're on these platforms before you know, finding any sort of ideology that puts you in a different direction, then you're engaging like this all the time because this, these are how these platforms sort of force you to engage with one another and, um, you know, antagonistically. And unlearning that is a process, especially when it's not a mass unlearning and you always find, like, I'm always finding myself like, well, if I'm trying to be principled, why is it so hard for other people to try to be principled, you know? Um, but I, I try to still hold that line. 
And and I agree with Max that a lot of the times holding that line does make people look at you sideways because it's not a familiar line. It's not a common line, um, not in the ways that outright projecting all of your issues online is. Um, so, so it does look like there's an avoidance of accountability if you are telling strangers who are like jumping in your DMs <laughs> to take that issue up directly with the organization, um, then it does look like there's an avoidance of accountability, but that is the best and most principled way that I see accountability being, you know, uh, coming into fruition. Um, because then that allows for these direct conversations and it allows for a direct struggle and things to be out in the open where as you know it avoid it's an avoidance of gossip and I think that that all of that is like ego driven to a lot of this conflict and and all of that are things that you know it's an unlearning it's very difficult I'm, I'm not even going to sit here and be like oh yeah it's so easy for me to just it's not <laughs> it's not especially um to the levels that people can take it it's very hard to just not engage but um i'm always mindful of what am i trying to do like what what is what is my goal here? What is the goal of my organization? What are we trying to accomplish? Does this throw things off track? Is this productive? What what would be the end result of this? And that's and just trying to and not even engage, but try to, to see it from that perspective has allowed me to really just not really just lean more into what Onye was saying. And I and I do want to credit uh, Onye and Ajamu a lot for that unlearning process because I think that as a collective and you know struggling with one another about uh, even about this article <laughs> like we didn't really all unite about you know the best ways to to um the best ways to engage or not engage uh online but we certainly had that conversation and this this there's a much I understand a lot more now um, than I did before, and I still, you know, I'm still learning. But I, I, but I think that it's important to say that it is not something that's easy, but it is something that's necessary. Thanks, Erica, and I deeply relate to like if I see it, I'm gonna want to say something. I'm an Aries. I'll fight for for very little, to be honest with you, and so I've had to like discipline myself to if I do see it, that I'm not immediately gonna clap back, and it took a lot of work. But this is actually a very good um, segue to the next thing I want to talk about, which is that if we don't engage these movement disagreements on social media, if we don't attack each other in public, how do we actually deal with movement disagreements and conflict? And one example that has always stood out to me that happened when I was in the APIP, and I also will not say the name of the organization, but I'll speak in general terms, and Ajama knows the story because he was there, um, was that there was this organization we worked with that was kind of like cultural nationalists. Like they weren't socialists, but they were for African liberation. They were very patriarchal, you know, homophobic, so on and so forth. But we maintained like a respectful relationship with them. They respected us, we respected them, and we would struggle with them in the places where we didn't agree. So one of the members um, started hitting on a teenage girl. And the teenage girl came to us because at that point we had like built up our reputation in the community as being like principled, as like stepping in to resolve conflict as like having the back of women and marginalized genders and youth. So she came to us for help and we sat them down and we explained what happened. We were like, we know you're doing this. It's not cool. It's gotta stop, leave her alone. And I remember like in that meeting, 
the they like immediately were like okay even like the dude that was responsible was like all right and what struck me about that situation was that like a lot of other organizations took the position of like we're just not going to work with them like fuck them publicly attack them etc but we took the position of we may not agree with you but you're saving for african liberation so we're going to build with you and struggle with you where it's needed and because we took that approach of maintaining the relationship and building with them and struggling where we didn't agree we had that respect and because we had that respect when we had to interrupt some harm they were doing they listened to us because they respected us and because they knew we could back it up when we said stop and so that really like i keep that in mind at all times because it showed like for me the way like the way that accountability unfolds in a lot of cases like makes no sense like people will engage in call outs of folks that they haven't even had a direct conversation with with the intent of changing their behavior or they'll like attack people with the intent to change their behavior or attack organizations and i'm like if that person like doesn't even like you or fuck with you or respect you like why would they ever listen to you about changing their behavior <laughs> because you said so, because you're loud, like when does that ever happen? And so there is like a really, when it comes to actually holding people accountable, I feel like there is a level of relationship and community required for them to actually do it. That's not necessarily recognized, but I have never seen accountability for harm or abuse work without some kind, like without the person feeling like they have to be accountable to you on some level. And that does not exist with that relationship. Um, I, just, I just wanted to add, I don't, I don't necessarily have um, examples, but something else that I felt like Ajamu pointed out in the article that is very important is that sometimes when we engage in these conflicts, we're doing it because we believe we're getting like, you know, justice for someone involved or somebody getting revenge or supporting people. But the part that in Ajamu's article that really stands out to me the most is the fact that like we make people in our organizations vulnerable who have nothing to do with the conflict when we when we engage that way. And so I think that for me is an incentive to try to think and talk to other people about ways to handle conflict because I wouldn't want, say, an elder in my organization to suffer the consequences of some online beef that 20 year olds were having on Twitter. That's a really good point, Mac. And the article actually points that out directly that like, because we're, we're reacting out of emotion a lot of times when we engage us on social media, we'll be throwing out information, not even realizing it, tagging people, sharing names of folks who were not even involved, sharing organizations that weren't even involved. And all of those things are breadcrumbs that point directly back to the folks doing the most effective work. Um, I see Shannon's hand is up, so I'm gonna allow you to speak. Hey, Shannon. Were you still wanting to speak, Shannon? Sorry. Tap the mic, there you go. Um, what I said was, if you can't call them on the phone, don't talk about them. If you didn't have their phone number before you wanted to say something, then don't say it. Simple. But a lot of people don't live by that. Um, what social media has also allowed is folks with no skin in the game to inject themselves as leftists or as organizers or... Um, activists so to speak 
So you're able to create this sort of fantasy world around you that you actually have shit to say when you really don't, right? So that that's the, the lessons that I've learned over the years. If you can't call them, don't talk about them. If I could call you, then I'm going to talk about you because I could call you. And more than likely, I already told you um, before it got to that level. But, um, and also too, you know, the, the, the discussion, you know, concepts like conflict and attacks, you know, for folks that are not seasoned, what do we mean by that, right? Okay, we know what online beef is. We know what tweefing is. But when we say conflict, what do we actually mean? We're roommates in an organization and you didn't pay your part of the rent, so now we're beefing online. We were in a poly and now you mon- monogamous and now we're beefing online. Or you feel like you need to go to a MAGA rally. Uh, but then at the same time, be for African liberation. What type of conflict are we referring to? And that could also be helpful in understanding how you address when these things manifest online, right? So if it's something that is personal, that has exploded, or you know enough about the people or the situation to understand that it's actually, this is personal, then that's, that's clear. I think we, I think we lost you at that's clear. We might have lost Shannon, I think. Yeah, it seems like we lost Shannon. But I think that Shannon raised some good points about uh, terminology and and distinctions. um, Because I feel like also when we, when we, like, even when I mentioned call out, like the call outs that are done online and people say, talk about abuse, uh, which could be anything, right? Um, So I, I do think that, that it is important to probably make some clarifications. Um, but I also see that Shannon rejoined us. So if you want to uh, finish your thought, Shannon. Or if Did not, you- uh, yeah, I was going to say, if not, I was going to invite Onye or Jamu possibly to, to discuss maybe uh, what Shannon was raising. Cool. Go ahead, Jamu, if you have anything. I'm sorry, can you guys hear me? Yes. Yes. Sorry about that. What I was saying, too, is that elder councils are also very important, right? Because folks are not doing the intergenerational work, which is very convenient to avoid internal accountability where someone, an elder can pull your coat and say, well, what, what the hell are you doing? What are you doing? And when I say elder, I don't mean just in, in age, chronological age, but in, in, in experience and, and life lessons and skin in the game and the movement, right? So for someone to say to you, yo, what are you doing? But that becomes less and less possible when you're only surrounding yourselves with 
folks that are in or that are younger or or less experienced or or um have less skin in the game than than you do so a lot of these things could be avoided if folks were able to take what concerns them and i'm saying that instead of using the word conflict right take their concerns to an elder council. We've had about five years of young people talking about, oh, we're non-hierarchical. Yeah, all of that bullshit is what has no one being accountable for their conduct. And then there's no uh, principles, because we go every since this principles and this is unprincipled. What the hell do we mean when we say that stuff, right? I, I'm, I guess I'm a more right and exact speaker or in my thought process, if you don't have something set up where you're able to take your conflicts to in order to have them addressed or resolved, this is why what you why you see what you see on social media. One thing I've learned as an activist is that principles of unity are very important with the organizations that you tend to work with the most. And the example that was given earlier about, look, we didn't like what this particular organization was doing with another individual, but we were able to address it through mutual respect. That's because somewhere along the line that mutual respect was established. Many organizations work together and don't do anything to foster mutual respect at all. They just run around black and mad and show up to the same shit, but that's not coalition work. So then when problems happen, there's nothing in place in order to address it. That's that's at least my e e initial commentaries on that. What I will pull out on the positive side, right, because the, the undercurrent of this discussion is, you know, all of the negative things that happen around these sort of call outs and, and social media, ray, 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 whoop, whoop is sometimes it will push an organization to challenge themselves on a particular ideology, ideological position, right? If the shit hadn't have blown up, would you talk about it? Or wait a minute, we didn't, you know, we don't know which parts of these things are true, but what do we think about this ideologically? And it can help your organization do better within themselves when you think about uh, what conflict actually looks like and and who it comes from. So I've definitely, and, and my organization has definitely been challenged by what we see happen with others, what we've experienced personally, and how we can actually pull some positivity out of it. I mean, my ego was crushed when somebody doxed me like three weeks ago and put my phone number on Twitter, but nobody called. I'm like, well, shit. <laughs> so sometimes we, we, sometimes we also have these like delusions of grandeur, like, oh, we doing all this good work. We doing all this good work. And oh, somebody's attacking me. Ah. Yeah. But then when the attack happens, nobody really gives a fuck. So, you know, except, you know, the alphabet people, but they already got us anyway, if you're doing any sort of anything um, meaningful to African people. So, you know, I don't think my phone number going online was anything new to the FBI. So, you know, those are my thoughts on that. And they're delightful. Oh, great. 
Um, we have three more minutes. So I just wanted to pass it to you, John, to see if there's anything else you'd add. Yeah, no, I think it's a good discussion. I think that, um, you know, as has been said, I think that that what Shannon just said is a, a good example, I think, of what I was trying to say earlier in that the scenario like that, like they put your phone number out there and, yeah, they already have it. But there's also a whole lot else that goes along with that. Like they're saying, OK, so this is a conflict. So what we can do is try to, you know, develop some people who can gain intel about what that conflict is about and can manipulate it in ways that can, if nothing else, prohibit good work from taking place because they can create all these distractions that get in the way of that. And at the very worst, <coughs> excuse me, create um, conflict uh, that leads, I'm talking about violence among organizations that leads to that. So, you know, it's they're always working to develop the ability to do that, to develop the ability to make those types of things happen. And, you know, we don't necessarily see it. I mean, they're paid to do that 24 seven, they're doing that. And, uh, and I think one thing that, you know, folks should think about is you ever notice how when you're ready to roll out some of your best work, if you pay attention, that's when problems start. When you're just about ready to roll out your best work or you're just starting rolling out your best work and then all these contradictions happen. And that my point is that that's not a coincidence that that happens that way. It happens that way all the time. So this is these forces at work in ways that are very covert that we don't, you know, we're not going to see for years maybe, but they're doing what they do. So that means we got to get better at doing what we do. I need y'all to go on Twitter and find my phone number and call me. Please help my self-esteem. Thank you. Drop the tweet. We'll call you. I am um, dead. <laughs> um, but this has been a very rich conversation full of learnings. I hope that folks enjoyed it. I'm very sad to cut it off here, but we want to respect everybody's time. Um, so thank you so much for joining us for our bi-monthly conversation as the Hood Communist editorial team. We will be back with our next conversation. I'm trying to look it up on uh, Thursday, August 12th at the same time. So we hope that you'll join us and we hope you have a great rest of your day. Whatever. Forward. Peace, y'all. That's a wrap for this week, but be sure to go check out the blog, hoodcommunist.org. We always got new articles on there every Thursday. Good shit, revolutionary shit. Go read that. Take that in. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at hoodcommunist. We got kicked off Twitter for telling the truth, but we still kicking, talking our shit on Instagram. So go follow us and stay up to date with what we got going on. And lastly, if you enjoy what you heard today, if you enjoy what you see on the blog, be sure to share this with your people. Be sure to share it with somebody who you think might appreciate it. You know what I'm saying? Everything we do, we do it because we believe in the potential to transform society and we believe in revolution. So like I said, share that. And lastly, we always encourage our people to join organizations that are fighting for justice, that are fighting for liberation. If we could solve the problems in our society as individuals, we would have did that a long time ago. So yeah, take care of yourselves, man, and we'll see y'all next time. Peace.